Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. I want to welcome you. Is it hot enough for everybody here today? Man, I'm loving this weather. This is like just starting to warm up. This is like March where I'm from, so I'm, I'm excited. It's a good day. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me uh, to uh, Romans chapter 6, I'm going to be looking at a passage of Scripture there, Romans chapter 6. And also on the back side of your bulletin, uh, there is uh, just some blank space. Um, I, I'm just going to tell you, I have an outline that is so many pages long, there's no way I'm going to get through it. I didn't get through it last night, so I'm not even going to try. Does that make sense? And I got a lot of information, which information doesn't change people. Faith on information, action on information is what changes people. So what I, what I did is uh, we basically took the outline, all filled in, all the blanks, all the everything, and it's at guest services. So if this service, this message ministers to you, just go by and just say, I just want pastor's message. I'll just give it to you. It's all the scriptures. So don't try to wig out and... What version is he reading from, and what's this, and what's that, and all that kind of stuff. It's all right there on, uh, at, the, at the guest services as you leave today. And if it does nothing for you, just don't tell me. That helped me, all right? <laughs> we're in our series on the doors, and today we're talking about habits. How do you shut the door on bad habits? How do you open the door on good habits? And, and so I'm going to ask you a question. You can write this question down if you want to, but this is the thing I want you to think about. This is kind of the grid, the, 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 the perspective, the, the lens that we're going to look through everything through. I could be a success for God if I could just blank. I could be a success for God if I could just blank. I could be a success for God if I could just overcome this, shut the door on this bad habit. Deal with this issue in my life. Deal with this sin in my life. Deal with this thing in my life. Deal with this in my life. Now today, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is really applicable to people who have already accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But you may be here today, and you may not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the cool thing about from what perspective you're going to hear, hear this message from and this teaching from is how God can change and transform your life. And so we're going to talk about these habits, how to shut the, the door on bad habits, how to open the door on good habits, and how to, how to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that Paul would talk about in, in Romans chapter 6. So Romans chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. Verse 16 through verse 23 reads like this. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey them, him as slaves, you are slaves to the one in whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin which leads to death, or obedience, which is unto God, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you are entrusted. You have been set free from sin. You've become slaves unto righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer your bodies, a part of your bodies, in slavery to impurity and increasing wickedness. So now offer them a slavery to righteousness, which leads to holiness." Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did it reap at that time? These things that you are ashamed of now. These things result in death. Verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and you become slaves unto God, you benefit, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now Paul in this whole passage here basically sets up this, um, this passage in such a way that um, 
he, he's talking about the comparison, the contrast between how we live life before we came into Christ and how we live life now. How we used to walk in sin and we were ensnared in our own sin. And before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were basically slaves to that. But when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, that changes. And when that changes, we now have an option to have sin-free living. Let me say that again. When you come into a faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to sin. Theoretically and theologically speaking, when Jesus Christ redeems you from the curse of sin and death, you have now been given the power that raised Christ from the dead, Jesus said, that dwells in you. And so because it dwells in you, you no longer have to go and act the way you used to act. So why is it that we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm so glad you asked that question. A couple of observations from this passage. Uh, First of all, is that habits are a choice. Habits are a choice. Verse 16 says, when you present yourselves. Verse 17, you you became obedient. Verse 19 says, you presented your members. You have to understand that habits, good and bad, are a choice. Secondly, these are some observations from this passage. Uh, There are good habits and there are bad habits. There are good habits and bad habits. Verse 16, you're slaves to sin, or you're slaves to obedience. Verse 18, you're slaves to righteousness, which is a good habit. Verse 19 talks about being a slave to impurity, to lawlessness, which is a bad habit. Verse 22 says when you become enslaved to God, it's the best habit at all. There are good habits. There are bad habits. That's what we're talking about today. Closing and opening the door on good and bad habits in our lives. Habits, number three, have consequences. The third observation is that habits have consequences. Verse 16 says it's righteousness. Verse 19 says it's sanctification. Verse 22 says that the benefits of that is eternal life. That when we have good habits in our life, that these things can produce righteousness and purity before God and holiness. And not because you're a pastor, because you've got some degree, or because some church has confirmed you, or you had your first this or first that. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with the inner working of the power of Jesus Christ that comes into your heart and your life through relationship, not religion. The next thing is that habits control our behavior. We all know this, but, but this passage talks about this. You are either slaves into sin or you're slaves into God. It's your choice. And the word slave in the original language is a word called dulius, which means one who gives himself up to the will of another. One who gives himself up to the will of another. So the root is deo, which means to bind. And in other words, it's a habit. It's a binding action that I give myself up almost in a rote, automatic way to someone else. And so the question is, is that you're not a rock'em sock'em robot. You are a free moral agent, which means you have a choice to decide, are you going to give yourself up to God? Or are you going to give yourself up to sin? Are you going to serve the flesh? Are you going to serve the spirit? Are you going to serve the devil? Are you going to serve God? There is no in-between. Now, I think Romans is probably one of the deepest books in the Bible. It's one of the most intricate books, but it explains, theologically speaking, and even practically speaking, although we don't really get into a lot of the practical side of it, we're going to try to today, that these, how God can set you free. He talk, because Paul talks about the theology of what Jesus Christ does when we accept him as Lord and Savior. But he also talks about the actions that we can take to live this sin-free lifestyle that we no longer have to follow the old nature. We no longer have to follow sin in self-indulgent ways, but we can be slaves unto God, slaves unto righteousness, which produces eternal life. And the last observation in verse 19, it says that God has the ability to change your habits. God will help you change your habits. That's the good news. God will help you close the door on the bad habits. God will help you open the door to good habits. God will help you to close the door on sin. God will help you to open the door to righteousness. God will help you to close the door to your self-destructive ways. And God will help you open the door to a lifestyle that will give you what you want, this 
this production of righteousness in your life. And he says in verse 19 that the problem with bad habits is that they're a weakness of the flesh. And so how do we deal then with this thing called flesh? Because here's something that I'm going to say that you may agree with, you may disagree with. Kind of stick it in the crock pot of your life and let it marinate for a while. But here it goes. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your spirit is regenerated. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Heaven is your home, and God upholds you in his righteous right hand. But not everything in your world changes. Let me say that again. When you come to a faith in Jesus Christ, you, you know that eternity is yours, that heaven is your home, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you have access to God the Father, but not everything in your life changes. And here's a point in case. People come to the altar, they give their life to Christ, and then all of a sudden, during the next week or the next month or the next six months, they begin to deal with these old habits, these old issues that they thought, man, all of a sudden, if I came to the altar, I get zapped, right? Like, all of a sudden, it just changes. And there are some things that do totally change. My spirit is regenerated. My, my, my spirit has been saved, but my flesh is still my flesh. And the reality is, is my flesh, God will give me the strength to do it, but my flesh is my department. My flesh is my ability to be able to do what God's word says and to transform my habits of my life and to rearrange those things. I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. But my spirit is saved, but my flesh still wants to do what he wants to do. That's the reason why Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. And there's this struggle in the flesh. There's this struggle between spirit and flesh because my spirit is saved, but my flesh, man, still wants to go and hit the bar, still wants to go mix it up with the club, still wants to talk the way he used to talk, walk the way he used to walk, and do the things that he wants to do. And, and the, dealing with that flesh becomes the most difficult thing that you have to do post-relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, I've been serving God for a long, long time. And there are times where, I mean, life really does feel like a Tupperware dish sometimes, right? Like I got all four, three corners down and I'm burping the fourth one about to get it on and another one pops up. You ever felt like that? Like, dude, I'm doing really well with God and all of a sudden, where did this temptation come from? Where did this problem come from? I didn't think I was dealing with this and all of a sudden stuff comes out of my mouth. I'm like, where did that come from? All of a sudden, I'm just motoring along through life and there becomes these trials and these temptations that come my way that this lust of the flesh and this pride of life and this greed and this whatever and it began to try to capture my soul and whoa, 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 whoa. Where is this coming from? It's my flesh. It's my flesh. Remember, we don't get a new body until we get to heaven we're still dealing with this flawed humanity and that therein becomes a struggle therein becomes the ability to shut the door on bad habits and open the door to good habits and here's the deal is God will not do for you what you have the ability to do for yourself you cannot save yourself from sin you cannot redeem your soul so God does that for you but your flesh the transformation the sanctification the walking into holiness that you need to do God says I'm going to give you the ability I'm going to give you the game plan I'm going to give you the manual on how to do that it's called my word but you have got to put one foot in front of the other and and you've got to walk right through that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Because all the preaching I've ever heard in my life would end right there. Boom, let's pray. You know, don't do this, right? This is wrong. Sin is wrong. You need to just get it, go low, get a ladder and get over it, right? And, and you think, well, the pastor has it all together. And so there must be this zenith level. There must be this, this level that you get to that all of a sudden you no longer have to deal with this stuff. No, everybody in this room is jacked up, myself included. Every one of us deals with sin and temptation. Every one of, Jesus dealt with it. Why do you think you're impervious to it? 
The Bible says he was tempted and tried in all ways, just as you and I are, yet without sin. The, the, the operative word in the phrase isn't without temptation, isn't without trial or, or trial or temptation. It's without sin. How do you do that? And Paul says that once I come into faith in Jesus Christ and my soul is redeemed, I have the ability to have sin-free living in my life if I so choose. It's not quite that easy, is it? If it was that easy, we'd just all do it, right? And then we'd all go to Roberts and have a frozen custard, and it would be good. I don't know what the flavor of the day is, but I can have one right now. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. So let's dig into this a little bit. How do you do this? And again, I'm not going to get all the way through my outline, but I'm going to get to the good part of it. The first thing is, how do you break these habits? The B and break is began today. Began today. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4 in the Living Bible says this. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Begin today. Don't put off tomorrow what you have the ability to do today. Don't say, I'm going to start this tomorrow. I'm going to start this on Tuesday. I'm going to do this after the holiday weekend. No, start today. The Bible talks, everything in Scripture is in day-tight compartments. Because the Bible says of itself, it says of our lives, that yesterday's gone and we cannot do anything about it. And tomorrow has not come. So we live one day at a time. Because we don't have the ability to go to tomorrow. Now, if you're like me, dude, I'm thinking down the road and I'm thinking here and I'm into June and July. And I'm talking about the fall series right now because I know what I'm doing through the summer. And my brain is always, that's my type A personality. I'm, I'm never done with this and I'm already on to this. I, I haven't even finished A and I'm already to B. But that's not the way the Bible says we're supposed to live our life. We live our life today. Today's what I have control over. This moment's what I have control over. Right now is what I have control over. I don't have control over 6 o'clock tonight or 4 o'clock on Tuesday or noon on Thursday or next weekend. I have control over today because tomorrow may never come. And yesterday is gone and I cannot change it. I have control over today. So begin today. So whatever habits you're trying to close the door on and, and open the door to, you begin today. Secondly, R, refuse to blame other people. Refuse to blame others. Don't play the blame game. Refuse to blame other people. I know this really flies in the face of political correctness and our victim mentality society. But Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, in the Good News translation, here's how it says. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions and they blame the Lord. It says stupid. I like that version. Some people ruin their lives by their own stupid actions and they blame the Lord. Do y'all, you need to know what stupid means in, in the original language? Stupid. It's just, that's it. And, and God can fix a lot of things, but he can't fix stupid. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We can't play the blame game. Because blame is lame. Blame is completely lame. You cannot point to anybody else. You cannot point to your brother, to your sister, to your mother, to your father, to your kids. You can't point to your husband. To your, you can only control you. Have you figured that out? And the passage that I just read you from Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 23, the word you is used 16 times. Why? Because God will save your soul if you will invite him into your life. But the, but the destruction of your flesh and the resurrection of your spirit, he will give you the ability to do, but you must do it for yourself. I'm telling you, don't blame anybody else. Don't blame God. 
Don't blame. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. That's just the way my family is. Well, you don't understand. You know, we're, you know, we're Irish or we're English. or we're, I mean, everybody has something to blame, right? Or, you know, or we're this or we're that or we're Italians or we're, you know, this and that. And, and you know, you just don't understand. This is the way we are. And that's just, this is my personality. I, I'm, you, you know, on, on the, the, the personality scale, I'm an E-I-F-G, whatever. I'm, I'm all, right? No. You don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card on this. If there are bad habits in your life, if there is junk coming out of your mouth, if there are things that you're allowing into your, into, into, your, into your mind, if there are things that you're allowing into your heart, if there are actions that you're doing, if you're clubbing it up on Saturday night, if you're running with the devil on Friday night, don't try to run with God on Sunday morning. Mm, I'm telling you, I'm, go, I'm going there today. We're going to talk a little bit about having a condo in Sinville in just a minute and trying to make heaven your home because you cannot do it. And the problem isn't God, and the problem isn't your church, and the problem isn't the praise and worship, and the problem isn't your neighbor, and the problem isn't your parents, and the problem isn't your kids, and the problem isn't your pocketbook. The problem is you. It's all of us. I'm telling you. Look, I'm not exempt from this message. What people don't understand about preaching is that you have to live this stuff. And when you figure out that you've got to live it, there are certain things when God says, this is what I want you to preach. You go, I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to live that. Don't look at me like so sanctimonious. I don't want to tell people how to be healthy because I don't want to be healthy. I want to eat fried food <laughs> and pizza and drink soda pop and go to Robert's. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Right? But this is the truth of the word. The next thing in breaking is examine your own life. Examine your life examine your life. If you ask God, he will show you. The scary part is asking him. Do you really want to know what he has to say? Now, God probably won't talk to you in an audible voice, although he can because the Bible says that he has in scripture, so that's possible. In my own life, he's never talked to me audibly, but I just know it in my knower. Is that deep enough for you, theological enough? You just know it right here. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40 in the Old Testament says, let us examine our ways and test them and then return to the Lord. Psalm chapter 32, verses 4 and 5 in the Living Bible says, My dishonesty has made me miserable and filled my days with frustration until I finally admitted my sins and stopped trying to hide them, and God forgave me, and all of my guilt is gone. You have to come to a place where you're willing to get alone with God and deal with you. If you truly want to shut the door on bad habits and you want to open the door to good habits, you need to get to a place Physically, emotionally, spiritually, where you are saying to God, Lord, here's my life. I lay it down. Because it would be good if we could just all get zapped, like you have somebody come and just pray for you and it'd be gone, right? I mean, I would love for somebody to come and just say, Aaron, hold on to your pants right now. You're going to lose 30 pounds in the name of Jesus. And don't think I'm being sacrilegious because I would really love for that to happen. I'm serious. I'll stand in that prayer line. But, but that's not happening. Because you know Why? I have control over this. It's my flesh. And God will not do for you, and God will not do for me what I have the ability to do for myself. He's given me the power. He's given me the ability, but he will not get up and do it for me. And sometimes we as Christians, we as crusty Christians, sit on the church pew, and we sit, and we soak, and we sour, and we just think that's all there is, and we're living so, low, so far below our pay grade that it's not even funny because we expect God to do all this stuff in our life, and he will do immeasurably above all we can think or ask, but he will not do for you what you have the ability to do for yourself. 
So you have to get alone and say, God, how am I doing? How am I doing? Not how is I and Tammy or I and the family doing. How am I doing? Lord, where am I missing the mark? Search my heart, oh God. This is why prayer and Bible study is so important because through prayer, we begin to open ourselves up to God and through the word, God begins to speak into us. And through prayer, we begin to examine our own hearts and through God's word, he begins to give us correction. And through prayer, we begin to, to say, God, come in and we invite him into our life every day because we only live one day at a time. And through God's word, he begins to give us instruction on how to live life that day. It's powerful. If the only time you ever open up your Bible or pull out your smartphone to look up scripture is in church, you're missing the mark. You're spiritually anemic. You're, you're spiritually just emaciated. You're, you're, you're spiritually, you're just walking, you're just bones. When you can run this race with vitality, you can be an overcomer, you can run this marathon, and you can walk and not grow weary, and you can run and not faint, but God will teach you how to do that, the Bible says. It only happens when you examine your life. Because again, <laughs> you don't want to do it. God says, fine. Because you have to understand, you're just one of billions of people on this planet. Now, he knows you by name, the number of hairs on your head. He loves you. He understands you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he's given you your own genetic coding called DNA. But at the end of the day, he will not do for you what you, don't have to, what you won't do for yourself. And he goes, okay, you want to sit there? You want to get mad? You don't play the blame game? Just sit there. When you come to the end of yourself, then you come find me. It's the, prodigal, it's the father in the, in the story of the prodigal son. The father never went after the son. He was ready to receive him, but he didn't chase after him. You ever notice that in Scripture? Jesus never chased after people. We chase after people. It's the reason why when somebody gets mad at Life Church and they leave, we don't chase after them. Jesus didn't chase after people. He's the, he's the, he's the great shepherd. I'm not going to chase after you. You don't like it? There's the door. I don't mean to be mean, but I, I mean it's between you and God. This isn't a you and me and God thing. There's not like some holy triangle that I'm in the equation. It's between you and the Lord. And so God, God will let you come to the end of yourself. But when, you, when you're willing to examine yourself, you're willing to open yourself up, then all of a sudden you're really willing for God to be able to show you, here's some things in your life. And God never just, here's a cool thing about God. He doesn't point out your faults and your failures. That's what the devil does. God gives you solutions. See, the enemy of your soul will point out how weak you are and how stupid you are and how sorry you are and the mistakes that you've made. And he will play that tape over and over and over in your life, even without your request. Have you noticed that? <laughs> but God comes in and says, I have made a way of escape. So let's talk about that. It's when we ask God to take over. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and 7 talk tons about this. I don't have time to get into all of the theology on those two chapters. But Romans chapter 6 Verse 13 and 14 says this, Present yourselves to God, those alive from the dead, and your members, I mean your body, as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. The reason why sin doesn't master over you is because you're not under the law, you're under grace. And let me explain the difference to you, and I heard it this, this way, and I think it's a powerful illustration. The difference between grace and the law. Some people think that, man, if you start preaching grace, that the walls are going to come down, and that sin's going to run rampant in the church, and people are just, they're going to start doing all kinds of, of sinful behaviors. 
So you need to preach the law, preach the law, preach the law. And you hear, you see blogs, you see uh, uh, religious critics, and they're all about this isn't enough, and this isn't enough, and I can't believe the guy's not wearing a suit and tie, he's wearing flip-flops on the platform, and now they're preaching out of iPads. Oh my God, hell's coming onto the church. And Let's just talk about this. The law says, let me give you an illustration. The law, if, if, if living illustration, my wife Tammy, the law would say, Tammy, I'm going to love you and I'm going to be faithful to you because if I don't, number one, you can divorce me. Number two, if you divorce me, it's going to cost me a lot of money. Number three, you're going to take 50% of all my assets of everything that I work for and I don't get to see my kids. And, um, and, and, there's going to, and, there, and some attorney is going to make enough money on me to buy a 7 Series BMW. So at the end of the day, I'm going to stay faithful to you because the law says that I'm supposed to. And for me to break the law hurts me more than what it does for me to enjoy that pleasure of an adulterous relationship. So I'm going to stay married to you. Well, that sounds loving, doesn't it? That's the law. Read the Old Testament. You do this, you do that. You do this, you die. I mean, it's just real simple. Grace says this. Tammy, I love you. I loved you from the very first time that I saw you. You're the mother of my children. You're the woman of my life. And because you are such a wonderful person, and you make my days so wonderful, and you make our home such a wonderful place, I can't do anything else but love you. And I make a covenant with my eyes that I won't look upon any other woman the way I look upon you. And the intimacy of my eyes and the intimacy of my, of, of my body will belong only to you and to you alone. Because I love you. Which one do you like better? This is an IQ test, folks. This is pretty simple, isn't it? See, the law says that you're a sinner, that if you break the law, here's what you got to do. You got to do this, 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 and this. Grace says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God so loved us with an unconditional love. That he gave his only son, God did, because he loved you and I so much. That if we were the only person on the planet, he would do that for us. And so because of that, he gives me this amazing grace. I'm not drawn to the law. The law is just cold and it's lifeless. But grace is a person. Grace is a place. Grace is something that I do. So I don't not sin against God because of the, of, of, of the downside of, of the consequences. I don't sin against God because Jesus Christ first loved me because he gave his life for me because he, he cared so much about me. How could I ever hurt the heart of God? How could I ever turn my back on Christ? I, I love him. See, love is way more powerful than law. Love will stay committed. Love will keep you there. This grace thing. That's the reason why when people go, well, you got to preach the law, you got to preach the law. No, 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 no. If people truly fall in love with Jesus, they're not clubbing it up on Friday night. If people truly fall in love with Jesus, they're not having the debate over well, how, how, how liquored up can I get and still go to heaven. If people truly love Jesus Christ, they're not dealing with the things of the world because they're so in love with him and their life is so going that direction and they're so powerful. And that's what Paul says. You're not under the law, you're under grace. And grace is what sets you free. And grace is what opens the doors. And grace is what changes your life. And grace is what transforms this flesh. Because the only thing that will break the power on this flesh is not the law. They did that for thousands of years. And people sin like nobody's business. But it's the power of the amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And when I've been there, the song says, for 10,000 years, I will only be gone just to sing of his praise. That's the power of grace. 
Grace is powerful to break the bonds of wickedness and of sin and of self and break them off of you and set you free to live life. That's why Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill it. Because what the law was not able to do, grace does. Mm, I'm telling you, I'm preaching. Now, I want, to get, I want you to understand this. So how does that work? Because we get it, right? Let's, again, that's when the, at my church I grew up in, the person would go over to the Hammond B. organ with the Leslie speaker. Da-da-da, da-da-da, mm-mm-mm. And we sing some song, everybody get to shouting and get to going, get to doing all that. And we have a good time, but nobody would tell me how to do that. Let me tell you how grace works in your life. There's a theological term called sanctification. Sanctification, I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can. There's two parts of sanctification. First is what's called instantaneous or instant. That means that when I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and into my life, he comes in. And when he comes into my life, boom, in that moment, I'm saved. I'm saved from myself. I'm saved from my sins. And I'm saved unto God. I am Sanctified means to be set, set apart from my sin and unto God. So in that moment where I say, Jesus, I need you to be, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I love you. Forgive me my sins and all my unrighteousness. Come into my heart. Come into my life. At that moment, I am saved and set apart from my sins and I'm set apart unto God. I'm saved from my sins and I'm set apart unto God. That's just why we call it, are you saved? It's salvation. That we are saved from our sin, from our flesh, and, our, and, and we're set apart unto God. But there's a second part of sanctification which happens after we ask Jesus Christ into our heart and into our life. It's called progressive sanctification. And these two things work together. The first is instantaneous. When I ask, when I call upon the Lord, I'm saved. But then I'm walking this Christian life. And these weeds begin to pop up in my Christian walk. And these issues begin to pop up. And the sin and self and flesh and these things begin to pop up. And all of a sudden, i got to deal with this stuff. And I realize, whoa, 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 where's that coming from? And where's this coming from? And where's this temptation coming from? And, and i got to crucify the flesh. And, and because, because even though I'm saved, my spirit, i got to deal with my flesh. And so it's called progressive. Sanctification becomes progressive, which means it's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so from now until the time I get to heaven... That progressive action of sanctification and being saved from my sins and set apart unto God continues to work. And there's a theologian in our time called Dallas. His name is Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard is, is, is a phenomenal theologian. And Willard says he wrote a book called The Spirit of Disciplines. And it's a great book. It's, pretty, it's somewhat academic, but it's powerful. And he basically says this action of grace, this action of God coming in and transforming our flesh... And, and our part with that, this, this progressive side of sanctification, that's what we're going to talk about, it, it has three parts. The first part, he says, is that it's, we're called baptized unto Christ. And, and meaning that when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, when God comes into our life, that all of a sudden, the engine of our life, if our life were like an engine, it no longer runs on sin, it runs on Christ. And so when I try to put sin into the tank of my life now, after I've been sanctified and set apart, after I've been saved... All of a sudden, that engine doesn't run right, and it spits, and it sputters, and, it, and it, it, it knocks, and it pings, and it makes these horrible sounds. And so, because people go, well, you know, nobody really, ha- when you really get saved, let me, let me say this. When, when you really come to faith in Jesus Christ, nobody has to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Have you figured that out? Like, you just kind of know, and then God's word speaks to the rest of it. 
And if you're sitting here today and you go, well, dude, I don't have a problem with it. Matter of fact, I was mixing it up at the clubs last night downtown, getting my groove on, girl. Mm-mm. And I'm going and I'm, I'm drinking and I'm having a good time and that kind of a deal. And I'm sitting in church and I'm fine. You're not saved. I'm not your judge, but I'm just telling you. The Bible says that you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other, hate the one and love the other. You can't mix it up on Friday night, run to the devil on Friday night and love Jesus on Sunday morning. It does not play that way. And if you think you are, you think you're, you're, the devil's playing you for a fool. I'm just telling you. What you're doing is you're sitting in church thinking that you're all right. You got about as much Christianity as the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is all right with me and you're, everything's cool. Because you can't smoke it up and drink it up and toke it up and still get to heaven. Mm. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Am I preaching good? Yes, sir. Student life. They're up here going, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, you tell them, Pastor. Because it's the truth. Everybody knows it. And we play these games in church. Well, that's all right, I'm free in Jesus. No, you're not. You're jacked up in your head because you can't live life that way. Because you will wind up serving one or the other. You cannot serve both. You can't serve both God and both man. You've got to make a decision. And here's the deal. If you're not ready to make the decision, totally cool. But you can't be dropping F-bombs on Tuesday at the, at the workplace and praising God on Saturday night or Sunday morning. It doesn't work that way. So, here's what Willard says. To be dead to sin with Christ is not to be lacking the natural sinful desires, but to understand that you have a real alternative. To be dead to sin with Christ is not to be lacking natural sinful desires, but to understand you have a real alternative. It's not the fact that you don't ever feel or never are tempted. It's the fact that you understand that you no longer have to, your engine of your life doesn't have to run on sin anymore. It can run on Christ. And once you've tasted the high octane of what an engine will purr like of your life on Christ, who wants to go back to sin? Who wants to live like that? Who wants to have this sputtering, pinging, knocking engine that has no low performance, this low performance lifestyle, and all of a sudden, boom. But when you, find, when you truly come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he changes you from the inside out. And you still are dealing with your flesh, but the power to, that saved your soul, the power that transforms you on the inside is completely changed. So that's the first part of this progressive sanctification when I ask, ask Christ to come in and change me. The second part, Willard says, is there's a reckoning of a new attitude. There's a reckoning of a new attitude. It's a personal choice or decision to disassociate or follow the old ways of sin and to make a decision that I've decided to follow Jesus. Remember that old song? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. See, there is this mental decision that you make in your mind after you've served Jesus Christ, after you give your life to him, that I'm going to disassociate with those old ways, that I'm going to walk away from those old ways, that I'm going to shut the door to those old habits mentally. I'm going to shut the door to those habits. So that may mean that uh, if I can't handle the Internet, that, I, that, that I, I unplug it in my house. That means that there's relationships that are destructive in my life. I sever those relationships. If I have a boyfriend or girlfriend that's not helpful to me in my relationship with Christ, I cut off that relationship. No, it doesn't matter how smoking hot they are. If I, come on. I hear Christians all the time going, man, but they are so good looking. No, what they want to do is have sex with you. They're not. They're going to lead you down this primrose path away from God. You have to turn your back on that. If you're sitting here today and you're living with someone and you're, that's called fornication. 
and you think that you're following Jesus, you need to set up separate residences and you need to deal with it. Or if you're going to live like the devil, go out there and live like it. But you cannot have it both ways. Paul says this. Because I meet people that they try to have it, they try to have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Am I being plain enough? Or maybe I'm too plain because everybody's looking at me like, oh my Lord. I've never heard a pastor talk like this. Welcome to Life Church. Okay. So, but the deal is, is that you have to disassociate yourself with those things. And that may mean some hard choices. That may be some radical things. And remember how we talk to our kids, those of us that are parents? Not just because everybody has it doesn't mean we have to have it. And, and here's the deal is, but everybody in my office and everybody, and this is how we can, listen, if you, Paul says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Better to go, go around with one eye out than to fall into, into sin and be led away. That's radical, but that's what it means. Unplug the cable. Unplug the, 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 the internet. Do whatever you have to do. Cut off the relationship. It doesn't matter. People are going to say what they're going to say. You, ha- you know and you know what you have to do. He says this. This is a great statement. There are eight principal thoughts from which all other thoughts stem. The first is adult is gluttony. We're not going to start there. The second is fornication. Third is love of money. Fourth is discontentment. Fifth is anger. Sixth is despondency. Seventh is vainglory. And eighth is pride. Whether, now listen to this, whether these thoughts, gluttony, fornication, love of money, discontent, anger, despondency, vainglory, and pride, whether these thoughts disturb your soul or not does not depend upon you. Meaning you can't control the temptation and those things disturbing your own soul. You, you're, that, that's something that's beyond all of us. But whether they linger in us or not and set, up, set passions in motion or not totally depends upon you. Whether you face those things and you're tempted by those things, you have no control over. That's a world that we live in. That's a fallen nature of man. But whether they linger and they set up shop in your life, you're totally in control of that. And guess what? God doesn't control that. That's not one of those Jesus take the wheel moments. God will set your soul free and give you the power to live that transformative life. But you, my friend, have to put one foot in front of the other. You have got to make a choice to disassociate yourself with the past, to disassociate yourself with sin, to disassociate yourself from over here. And you've got to be willing to to set yourself there. Here's here's the reality. You you cannot have your home in glory and have have a condo in Sinville. You cannot go over here and go, man, heaven's my home. I love God one day, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Oh, what glory, oh, what shouting on that happy morning when we all shall rise. What a day that will be. You can't live like that over here and go, but I'm going to try it on over here just on Friday nights. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to club it up. I'm going to do, I'm just going to have a little, just, I don't even own it. I'm just renting this condo. Just every once in a while, I go here. Every once in a while, I let myself go here. Every once in a while, just a little taste, just no big deal. No. Because the Bible says that when you do that, you have two masters, God and the devil. You understand there's only two powers in this world. Everything falls in one of those two categories. I didn't write the book, that's what it says. There's not like some third alternative, contrary to popular opinion. And you have to choose. Either heaven's my home, and I'm going to put my residency there, and sell the condo in Sinville, which some of you need to put it up for sale today. Mm, don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Or you just need to take up residency there and sell your house in heaven. But you can't have it both ways. No man can serve two masters. You have got to decide, 
I cannot control things that are around me, but I can control whether or not they linger. I cannot control whether things come at me, but I can control where my residency is. The third thing that, he, that, that Willard says on this, on this uh, sanctification is that we submit our members, our body, to righteousness. That we submit, the third part of this progressive is that we come to God, we disassociate self, and then we completely submit. And how do you do that? He, he quotes Oswald Chambers, who's another phenomenal theologian in his own right as well. And he says this, The question of forming habit on the basis of God's grace is a vital one. If we refuse to practice, and what he means by practice, let me, let me frame this because I'm pulling this out. If practice meaning this, just the same way that you practice anything else in life, the way you educate yourself, you grow, you practice, uh, you, you take an apprenticeship, you, uh, you, you, you take a, uh, an internship, uh, you have to practice with this firm before you can be a full-fledged this or that. The, the, the way that we practice is the same principle that works in our, in our in dealing with the flesh and with the spirit. That we have got to choose to practice, to, to exercise these spiritual disciplines, exercise these good habits and shut the door on bad habits. That we have these, these exercises, these spiritual disciplines, prayer and the reading of God's word and, and, and devoting ourselves to the fellowship of, of one another, i.e. church and communion and solitude and, and fasting and all these spiritual disciplines that are out there. We have these disciplines in our life, not to, try to be, not to try to get God's attention, but so that we crucify the flesh, so that we do what we need to do. Make, does that make sense? Like in my own life, if I go through a period of time where I haven't, I'm not a crier, I'm not an emotional person in that regard, I'm pretty, pretty stone cold in that regard. That's just the way my emotional makeup is, I have no control over that. But the one thing that I know is that if it's been a long time since I've been in the presence of God and I have cried, where the, where the Spirit of God has broken me to a place that I moved to tears, that my heart's getting hard, that I'm getting crusty. Doesn't matter how much I pray, doesn't matter how much what's going on, doesn't matter how many church services I've done or preached, at the end of the day, uh, I, I have to push away and I have to spend some time alone with God. And I just have to recharge my tank. And it's in those moments that the Spirit of God begins to break me down. And that's just one of those ways. I know, man, that's what he's talking about. If I refuse to exercise that, if I refuse to practice, it's not God's grace that fails when crisis comes. It's my own nature. Whoa. It's not, if I refuse to practice these spiritual disciplines, it's not God's grace that fails when crisis comes. It's my own nature. And when crisis comes, we ask God to help us, but he cannot if we have not made our nature, our flesh, our ally. For the practicing is ours, not God's. For God regenerates us. He saves us from our sins. That's the instantaneous sanctification. And puts us into contact with all of his divine resources, prayer, his, the word, spiritual disciplines. But he cannot make us walk according to his will. That's our business. See, we think that God will just zap us and it's all fine. Or the other people in this room, man, they're just zapped and they're okay. No, 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 no. This is a practicing. This is a shaping of my flesh. This is a closing the door on bad habits and opening the door to good habits. So in those moments of crisis, when my flesh fails me, it's not because God's grace isn't sufficient. It's because I've been insufficient to exercise the spiritual disciplines in my life. Many times... When people fall into grave sin and temptation, they have gone through enormous amount of times of not spending time in prayer, spending time in God's word, being in contact with fellow Christians, 
You ever seen somebody kind of fall away from the church, fall away from God? They begin to disassociate themselves with every life-giving relationship. Why? Because they're associating themselves with the world and they cannot do both. And they're, and, and they're, they're, they're convicted and they're perplexed in their, in their own life. Because you can't serve two masters. We're not wired that way. You're going to love one, hate the other, hate the one, love the other. So we have got to ask God, ask Christ to take over in our life. And he does, but then we've got, to, we've got to understand that we have an alternative. We have to understand that we have to disassociate ourselves. And then we've got to begin to submit ourselves by spiritual disciplines in our life. The last thing is keep away from temptation. Romans 13, verse 14, in the Phillips translation, says this. Don't give any chances to the flesh to have its fling. Don't give any chances to the flesh, your flesh, to have its fling. I've heard it said, if you don't want to get stung by the bees, then stay away from the honey. Mm. Proverbs 24, verse 27, the Good News translation, says, Plan carefully what you do to avoid evil. Plan carefully what you do to avoid evil. When you're moving away from temptation, make sure you're not leaving a forwarding address. When you sell the condo in Sinville, don't leave a forwarding address to your residency in heaven. Don't, you sever those relationships. You sever those things. Why? Because you, you're not strong enough, enough. Nobody is. I'm not. No, none of us are to, to handle that. I mean, I, I have friends of mine that travel extensively, and they request the TV to be removed from the hotel rooms. And the hotel refuses to do that, and they find another hotel room. Because they, they, they do not want to have to deal with the temptation of what may be on that, that television when they're alone and by themselves. I have other friends that never turn it on. Don't ever deal with it. Don't ever open the cabinet. Never deal with it. So they just, whatever. I, I, I know, I, you know, I personally, I very, very suddenly do I ever travel by myself. Because I just don't ever want to be in that position. I don't even want to even put myself in the position. I heard one time that Billy Graham never entered into a hotel room without someone checking it out first. To make sure that there wasn't someone waiting on the other side. We're flesh and blood, folks. Regardless what it is that you deal with, regardless what it is that goes on in your world, you've got to make sure that you leave no forwarding addresses for temptation. You've got to make sure that you, leave, that you stay away from the honey if you don't want to get stung. And so you remove yourself from that. I preached long enough, and again, I'm not even all the way done with my outline, so I'm going to quit. But I want to read you a poem about habits that I think is pretty powerful. And I ask you the question again that I asked you at the beginning. I could be a success for God if I could just... You can. That's why Philippians says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The question is, will you? God's done his part. Will you do yours? Here's what it says. I'm, I'm your constant companion... I'm your greatest helper or your heaviest burden. I will push you onward or drag you down to failure. I'm completely at your command. Half the things you do, you might as well turn over to me, for I will do them quickly and correctly. I'm easily managed, but you must be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done, and after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I'm a servant of great people, and alas, the failures of, uh, uh, as well. To those who are great, I've made them great. To those who are failures, I've made them a failure. I'm not a machine, though I work with the precision of a machine. Plus the intelligence of a person. You may run me for profit or run me for ruin. It makes me no difference. Take me, train me, be firm with me, and I will place the world at your feet. Be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am a habit. So true. So today, what habits 
What's keeping you from being the success for God that you want to? What doors do you need to shut? What habits do you need to form in order to shut the door on the bad and open the door to the good? That ultimately is a question that you have to answer. I want to pray for you that God's going to give you the strength to do that. Father, I just thank you today for your word.